Well, we've arrived already at Friday. So good morning and thank you for joining with us. We've been looking at the philosopher's meditation on time. And I just thought it'd be really good to finish now with his subsequent thoughts about that reflection. And we find them in verses 9 through to 15 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let me read them for you this morning. What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden that God laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to good, do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men may revere him. Whatever is, has already been. And what will be, has been before. And God will call the past to account. Well, in the light of all that he's seen and experienced, the philosopher raises some important questions for us. He makes some important points. So if this is how life is, in all its diversity and its complexity, then what is the point of life? I wonder how many times we've ever said that, or we've heard it said. If that's how it is, then what's the point? You work hard to make ends meet. And the work often that the philosopher has observed is, is back-breaking work. And it's God who's laid that burden on people because, of course, at creation, as part of the outcome of the fall of man, of course, work became heavy going. It became a huge burden for people. You live in a world where people have time to do good things, but seem to have even more time to do bad things and seemingly always seem to choose in greater numbers the opposite of good. And then you die. Well, what's the point of that, the philosopher is saying? Well, of course, it's a good question and it's not one that we should dismiss lightly. The questions that the philosopher has been asking right from the start from Ecclesiastes chapter one is right from the outset of his writing is, well, isn't everything meaningless? What's the point of it all? Well, I think he continues to wrestle with that and struggle with that and grapple with that. And I think in the light of all of that, and in the light of his deepening understanding of God and the meaning of put the purpose of life, the philosopher continues to wrestle. There must be more, he thinks. There surely must be something greater than this. Have I missed something? Something that seems to make sense of all that there is. And then he begins to think it through and some 
oh, probably not conclusions, but at least further things to explore come into his mind. Firstly, he says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. If there is time for the bad and the ugly, uh, then that's not God's doing. That's our doing. We have the time and we make the choices. All that is good in our world is a reflection of the creator God who has made us in his image. And there is goodness and beauty to be found alongside the bad and the ugly. And secondly, as he thinks again, he thinks, well, God has invested in all people, all people, whether they do good things or bad things. He's investing them in them a yearning, a yearning for a better life now and the hope that that life might go on forever. It's almost as if within the DNA of all of us, there's just those feelings that hope that all that we have may not be all that there is. All that he's written about in his meditation on time, well, you could easily say, well, that's how it is. That's all there is. But he sees something else that God has invested in us, the hope of eternity. In the midst of the good and the bad, people can dream and hope that what we have now is not all that we will ever have. So thirdly, the philosopher says, let's get on with living. Let's find happiness where we can and when we can. Let's do the good and the positive where and when we can. Let's eat and drink and enjoy with the, those things that we have been blessed with. Let's try and find some joy and fulfillment in the tasks that we have to deliver on and receive them as a gift from God. Nothing is forever, he says. And of course, nothing is new. All ultimately will be called to give an account for the way that they have responded to life in all its complexity and mystery and the way that we've turned to God in the midst of it all. Well, as you look at that, it would be easy at the end of this week to think, well, none of that seems to quite match up with the teachings of Christ. Well, that's not surprising. This was written 500 years before the appearance of Jesus. So we can't seek to interpret it in those terms. We know the greater has come, and we know that the greater has brought greater insight and understanding. But I think what the philosopher does is he presents us with a measure of reality, a reality maybe at times, if we're honest, we'd rather not face up to. The philosopher has got us thinking, and he's asked some important questions of himself, but of course of us. He's asked us to think about the nature of life, how life is, the significance and importance of time. 
Well, if he's made us think and he's called us to wrestle with some of the ideas that he's wrestling with, if he's called us to a journey of greater understanding of God and God's purposes in life, then I think the philosopher has succeeded in doing what he set out to do. 